And then we're going to move down to verses 25 to 32. And I'm reading from the New International Version, 2011. So Ephesians 4, 1 to 6 to start. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And down to verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need." Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Morning again. If you're visiting with us this morning, then we find ourselves, you find yourself with us in the middle of a series that we're looking at the one another statements in the New Testament. And we were about our third week in or something like that, and we've got one or two weeks to go. Let me just share this with you. Firstly, let me welcome you again. And if you're here for Pastor Tracy and Glenn and family and just to support them, then you are especially welcome, and we appreciate you coming to demonstrate your support for them. At the end of the service, not you guys, because you know them, but for, at the end of the service, we might have Tracy and Glenn, if you would like to, to go to somewhere at the back of the room or somewhere where people can come up and greet you and introduce themselves to you. And, um, that'd be all right, won't it? We arrived here in 2003, and yesterday, in the year 2022, we went to the Ecker for the very first time. I'm telling you this for a reason. We took our two grandchildren, we went yesterday morning, and of course kids make the echo, don't they? Just watching the joy on their face as they go on their rides and eat their fairy floss or whatever. They didn't get fairy floss, but we did have a dagwood dog. It was about that long. You, don't, you can't do the echo without doing that, apparently. Anyway, the very last thing we saw were the reptiles on the way out. So yesterday afternoon I came home and I finished off this message and I went to bed late last night and dreamt about a snake that was attacking me. 
And I'm going to spiritualise and say that was Satan because he doesn't want me to do this message. I just think it was because I saw a snake and <laughs> I'm thinking about it. So I didn't get out of bed. I launched myself out of bed. And we have a reasonably high bed. I hit my head on the bookshelf. I've got a lump here. I've banged my shoulder into the wall so I can't move it. So if you see me grimace, that's why. I've hurt my knee. <laughs> this is what happens. And I had my birthday on Thursday. And yesterday I got let into the ECA as a senior citizen and I didn't need to have any identification. <laughs> I would like to sit down, yes. Anyway, enough about me. What do you think about me? <laughs> Rhonda is not with us again this morning. She likewise is not well. She, along with the other members of my family, they keep getting this cycle. You know, you get it, and then you get over it, and you get it again, you get over it, and you get it again. They're in that cycle thing. And so I said to Rhonda, just stay home, sweetheart, and recover. You need to look after me when I come home. <laughs> she will. She doesn't need to. I need to look after her. Can you imagine that? Would you like a cup of tea? <laughs> Enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be together. And I pray that you might um, use the words that I speak for you, Lord, to achieve your purposes, that you would open our eyes to see your truth, your will, and your purpose for each one of us. And we ask and pray it for Jesus' sake. And everybody said... Unity and bearing with one another. It's pretty much the gist of the passage, but there are a few things that I just want to draw our attention to. Here are the first three verses, and I'm not going to get much further than that, because there's so much in this. I'll allude to other parts, but that's where our focus is going to be. The Apostle Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. That's the NIV translation. And the NIV, it's a correct translation, it's accurate, but it misses the metaphor which some other versions will have, and you might be familiar with it, where it says, to walk worthy. And it's that metaphor of walking, one step at a time, day by day. And the Apostle Paul uses that metaphor seven times in the book of Ephesians. And so I'm going to talk about living the life, but walking the life, walking with the Lord, any way that you have seen. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, and there is the phrase, bearing with one another in love and make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. All of that leads up to that statement about do all of this to maintain unity, that God wants us to be in harmony with one another. In the past, here is the metaphor, the first time he uses it in Ephesians is back in chapter 2. We used to walk according to the principalities of this world, according to our own sin. We used to live our life the way we used to, but now... Because of Jesus, we now have been transferred from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of his son. In Christ now, we walk with him to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And some of those good works for us to do is not, not just according to our spiritual gifts and our talents and our ministries. It's also our attitudes and our relationships with one another. It's our love for each other and care for each other. That's part of the good works that God wants us to be involved in. In Colossians chapter 2, he uses the metaphor again. So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk with him, to live your lives in him. 
or 1 John 1, 7, you might know this one. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And on an automatic basis, because of that, on that close connection with one another, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. There's a level of sin that we are conscious of, that we need to confess or repent of. But there is a level of sin, there are parts of sin in our life which we are not aware of and this verse tells us as we walk with the Lord and as we fellowship with one another, that gets dealt with automatically by the Lord Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will slowly bring that to our conscience so that we can deal with it in our life. That'll overlap a little bit later for us. Watchman Nee was a Chinese pastor and he wrote a book on Ephesians and he called it Sit, Sit, Walk, Stand. Excuse me, every now and again I have to stop just to explain and have a drink of water because the medication that I'm on to keep me sane, (laughs) um, I get dry mouth, so every now and again I have to have a sip of water. Watchman Nee nails the book of Ephesians. The first little bit is about in Christ we sit with him in the heavenlies. We rule and reign with him in the spiritual sense. We walk, that's the middle book of Ephesians, we walk with him in this world both putting off and putting on, doing the works that God has prepared for us to do. And at the end, we stand against the evil one in this world. Sit, walk, stand. And the second half of Ephesians, someone else can summarise this as unity, purity, harmony in our relationships and victory against the evil one at the end. They're just different ways of looking at the broader context of what we're looking at. And this morning I'm just focusing on the very first one, unity. Make every effort to preserve the unity, to keep the unity, to maintain the unity that the Spirit gives us. Make every effort. So the Spirit gives us unity. It's not something we manufacture, it's not something we create, it's something we maintain, it's something we preserve, we work at keeping it. How do you break it? Sin, pride, self getting upset with one another, breaking the fellowship, that puts a ripple into the unity. And as God is a united God, so he's very concerned that we are united. We are the new people of God that he is calling together. There are seven graces the Apostle Paul outlines in that passage. If you read through it again, we'll do that very quickly. Seven graces that we as followers of the Lord Jesus have that will help us maintain the unity with the Spirit. Be completely humble, one. Be gentle, with one another, patient, bearing with one another. I want to come back to that one. Make every effort to keep the unity in the bond of peace. They are the seven particular graces that Paul outlines for us in the midst also of seven spiritual realities. Because he has saved us and we're part of his kingdom, there are seven things that unite us. Here they are that he gives us... Sorry, it's because of the snake bite. (laughs) He says there is one body, one body. And of course, Paul means the universal church of God. There's only one. And that has a local manifestation that there is a local church. And that local church is to be a united local church. Interestingly, John Owen made the comment, the Holy Spirit prepared a physical body for the Lord Jesus with his incarnation. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Physical body for his incarnation to being human. The Holy Spirit is also creating a spiritual body for the Lord Jesus in his resurrection. 
the body of Christ. But the Spirit of God is building and making by calling people to faith in him and to unity with one another. There is one body and there is one Spirit who indwells us all as we follow Jesus. It's the same Holy Spirit who is in each one of us and we have one hope. We all hope for the return, the coming of the Lord Jesus. So when we realise this truth that there is only one body and we walk in the Spirit and we're looking forward to the same Lord returning, then we will be peacemakers, not troublemakers. As we focus upon those truths, but there are more. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is only one Lord Jesus. And it's difficult to believe, it's not impossible, but it's difficult to believe that two believers who claim to obey the same Lord and yet they're not able to get on and walk together. an inconsistency isn't it and the world notices it in essentials unity in non-essentials liberty we have different opinions sometimes different beliefs on different doctrines about mm, secondary issues people have different views on whether women can be pastors it's a secondary issue it's not a primary one but in all things, the Puritans would say, charity, love for one another. Someone asked Gandhi once, what's the greatest hindrance to the gospel in India? He said, Christians. It's a slap, isn't it? Our attitude and our relationships with one another. Jesus is Lord. When we confess that, acknowledge it and mean it, that's one giant step towards unity with one another. There is one faith. There is one body of basic New Testament teaching which we are to teach, which we are to guard and which we are committed to passing on to the next generation. One faith. There is one baptism. That's either one spirit baptism, which is why we, how we, are, uh, which we receive at conversion. We're baptised by the spirit into the body. That's the universal body of Christ. Or in the local context, the Apostle Paul could mean there is only one baptism for a follower of the Lord Jesus into the church that we don't get re-baptised. So there's one spirit baptism or there is one water baptism for us as we follow Jesus. And the implication is that everybody in the New Testament was baptised. We've got a baptism service next Sunday. If you haven't been baptised and you would like to, then let us know. Or if you would like to know more about it, have a conversation with us. And then he goes on to say, and there is one God and Father of all who is over all, through all and in all. It's interesting, the order of the Trinity is the reverse. It's one Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father. Normally it's Father, Son and Spirit. This one, in this context, it's the reverse. It's just interesting. We are all children of God in one family and we love and serve one Father. So we ought to walk in unity together. Can you remember, could you imagine what it would be like for little kids who were walking with their dad and the kids were bickering with one another? What do you think their dad would do? clip them over the ears or maybe in the old days not these days but he would discipline them wouldn't he he'd correct them stop your bickering with one another let's do this together imagine my two grandkids Marnie and Franklin having a disagreement yesterday at the echo it would not only spoil it but it'd be corrected and of course they were having so much fun they just had a blast. I want you to note well, the Apostle Paul is not advocating for us unity at any price. 
The ultimate goal is not unity, whatever the cost. It's unity in Jesus. False teaching, false doctrine, wrong behaviour will break the unity. So it's not unity at every cost, but unity is a very high reward. Christians, we do differ. But we are to be united. God has given us different spiritual gifts. We have different abilities, different talents, different levels of intelligence, different personalities, different likes. We're different. But we're called to be in harmony, in unity with one another in the midst of the local church. God has given us spiritual gifts. They're not toys to play with, nor are they weapons to fight over. They are tools to build with for us to be involved. As I said a couple of weeks ago... um, You can't grow closer to God if you are ignoring one another. In seeking to follow Jesus and to know, love and serve him, he requires of us that we are united, that we love and care and bear with one another. Our salvation, I said a couple of weeks ago, is personal, absolutely, but it's not private. We are saved individually, but we are saved in a corporate context, into a body. So the churches, when we gather together, are not simply a place where we come to hear sermons and sing songs. That's a good part of what we do. But the church is also a space where we come to relate to one another, where we come to fellowship, where we come to link together, horizontal connections. And our horizontal connections are just as important as our vertical, praising him, praying to him, listening to him. They go together. You can't have one without the other to be spiritually strong and healthy. Remember what the Lord Jesus says? As you did it unto the one of the least of these, my brothers or sisters. You did it to me. Our attitude to one another, he takes personally. So it's very critical for us that we continue to learn to know, value and appreciate one another. And the reason behind all of this is because the God that, who is the true and living God, the God we know, is a united God. He is one. He is one in essence, distinct in personality, but he is one. Satan, the opposite, is the great divider. He divides and he conquers and he tries to destroy. He tried to split heaven up, persuaded a third of the angels to rebel against God. He was in the Garden of Eden and he split Adam and Eve up, tried to get them to fight, not fight, but to disagree with one another and join together in rebelling against God, certainly. He instigated sibling rivalry between Cain and Abel. Satan knows and understands the unity that God has and wants. He knows that and he understands it. So Satan's goal is to keep us from being by having God involved in our life, uh, families, churches, ministries, cultures. And so he crafts an agenda of division. Behind the arguments, the disagreements we have, there is the evil one who is applauding. That's what he wants. Why? Because God is a united God. He will distance himself from, he will separate himself from disunity. It's where unity is present that he commands the blessing. It's where there is division and separation that God can withdraw his presence, withdraw his blessing, that he is not pleased. This is not the family that he wants. 
So Satan knows when people live in disunity that God, if you like, backs off. Not ultimately and not, and not sovereignly. But there is a sense of his absence. That he's not pleased, he's not happy with that. So Satan inflates differences that we have with one another. He promotes personal agendas. So little disagreements suddenly turn into major standoffs. Small misunderstandings drive wedges into relationships. When we jump to conclusions and we let our emotions lead, then that's when the healthy community and unity gets interrupted, broken, and heated arguments begin. Unity is essential to the effective proclamation of the gospel. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Our job, our great commission, is to go forth and share the gospel and to make disciples. We agree, yep. But if we don't do that in a united way, that we're doing this together, that we are not effectively proclaiming the gospel because we're proclaiming reconciliation with God and therefore with one another. Our lives can put the lie to our belief of what Jesus has done in the gospel. At Psalm 133 where God commands the blessing, where there's unity. Or if you look at that book of Acts, chapters 2, 3 and 4, it's where there is this recurring phrase of the church was in one accord. They were united in prayer and in sharing. That's then where God poured out his spirit and power upon them. Now, unity is one in purpose. It's not, the, it's not sameness. It's not uniformity. It's committed to a goal. It's committed to a purpose, a mission. That's what unites us. So we're united in mission, vision and purpose, just like an orchestra. An orchestra is one, it's united, not because all the instruments are the same. In fact, all the instruments are different, but they're playing one piece of music. They're playing one song or whatever. They're united in the purpose of what they're trying to do. So too for us. Unity allows us to embrace our uniqueness and it welcomes differences and it can see them as strength as we commit to work together. Back in the old days, last century, when I became a pastor, back in the 1950s, no, it wasn't at all. A pastor was appointed to a church. He led the worship service. He prayed. He led the singing. <laughs> he led the singing. He picked the hymns. He led the prayer. He closed the service in the benediction. He went to the door and he greeted everybody. He was a one-man band. Oh, they were the days, weren't they, Dave? <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? God hasn't made the church like that. There are people who can sing and you've seen them on stage. There are people who play musical instruments. There are people who operate computers and sound desks. There are people who operate cameras. There are people who are at the door who greet you, welcome you. There are people who provide morning tea and there are people who can talk. I can't sing and I can talk a little bit. Can't play a musical instrument. You get the point. We're different but we need one another and it's that working together. That's what the Apostle Paul prayed, Romans 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards one another that Christ had. 
Why? So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Unity. It's very important. The Lord Jesus even prayed for it. My prayer is not for them alone, but I pray for those who will believe in the next generation, that includes us, that all of them may be one. Yes, Father, just like we are. May that be duplicated in the life of the church. And Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul in this passage goes through to say, we are to speak the truth in love. When we speak truth that unites us, lies divide us. When we speak in love, love unites us, selfishness divides us. So speaking the truth in love to one another unites us. It doesn't negate um, seeing fault and um, talking about that together, but it's with a view to helping us to, to improve and to become more like the Lord Jesus together. And we can't do that by ourselves. We need one another. Like I said before, there are sins in my life that I'm not even aware of. There are weaknesses in my life that I'm not aware of. There are some faults and weaknesses that I am aware of, but we all have them. So Ephesians 4, 2, the Apostle Paul says, be completely humble, gentle with another patient, bearing with one another in love. When he says patient, the Apostle Paul means long-suffering, not to have a hair-trigger response or reaction to somebody, but it's taking time to boil. We all have our own irks, peeves, irritations. comes with life in this world. But we are to bear with one another. To allow for these faults and idiosyncrasies. We are to respond, not to react. Whether we count to ten or take ten breaths, but we are to put up with one another. Make allowances for our faults. Because people are people. We all have our faults. We all have our little annoyances. We all have things that push our buttons. And what pushes my button may not push yours. Max Licardo wrote a book on pursuing happiness, which is about the one another statements. And he uses the phrases that we often use. We talk about people who gets, get under our skin or they are a pain in our neck or they get on our nerves. And he points out whose skin, whose nerves, whose neck? Ours. Who suffers? We do. When we're irritated by somebody else, we're affecting ourselves. And he then uses the illustration. Imagine that you had a bucket full of ping pong balls and that's your daily allowance of happiness. And that every time you have an, an irksome, an irk or a, a peeve or an annoyance or a huffy moment with somebody or something, you take one of those balls and you empty it. And then he goes on to give a list. So I made my own list and Rhonda's not here so she won't be embarrassed. They leave their dirty clothes on the floor or their wet towel on the floor in the bathroom. Some. He wait, they wait till the last minute to get ready or they're always late. They leave stuff all over the house. That irks my wife. She can't read maps. That irks me. I find it irksome, you might too, when people finish your sentences for you or they interrupt you when you're halfway through a sentence. She's at home watching this. I take forever to fix things. 
Some people can't watch a movie or TV, news or sport without having an opinion or talking about it. I do that with the football. That's why I don't watch it. That's why I watch the NFL. Some people cut you off in traffic. Queenslanders can't merge. Some people chew with their mouth open. Some people slurp their tea. Some people leave dirty dishes, not in the sink, not on the sink, not in the dishwasher, but anywhere in their house. Some people need deodorant. Some people need mouthwash. That's a hard one, isn't it? Your breath stinks. How do you say that lovingly? Your breath has an odour. Some people burp. Some people talk with food in their mouth. When my grandchildren do that, I always tell them, before you speak, fill your mouth. Some people don't return shopping trolleys to their bay. It's one of my pet peeves. Some people say, what? After every sentence, so you have to repeat it. Some people drive too close to your bumper. Some people drive too slow. Some people drive too fast. Some people won't let you merge. You know when you're merging and they speed up beside you, right next to you? I pray for them. It's not a pleasant prayer, but I pray for them. Some people will talk in movies and I'll tell you what's going on. If only I could run the world, it would be, if I could set the rules, wouldn't it be a better place? Well, the Lord Jesus speaks to that in this context. He says... Oh, I did that bit. Don't focus on the speck of dust in someone else's eye. Don't focus on their faults, their little idiosyncrasies and those annoyances for you. Don't do that. Focus on yourself when it comes to fault finding. The Lord Jesus used this illustration with a sense of humour, undoubtedly. We notice the speck, the little thing in somebody else's life. We notice it. But we don't notice our own big faults. Jesus is not saying you won't notice it. What he's saying is, before you address that issue, first address your issue, then address that issue. We do notice the speck in one another's eyes, don't we? When we point the finger at somebody else, we've got three fingers pointing back at us. That should remind us. If I'm seeing a fault in somebody else, I better look at myself Max Licato says we have eagle-eye vision when it comes to others, but we're as blind as bats when we examine ourselves. And the reality is, we all drop the ball at some point. We all point the finger. We all get it wrong. We all sometimes make a mistake and we're not even aware that we're doing it. That's why we need to be patient with one another, to bear with one another and to help one another. I know time's gone, but I want to finish this quickly. You're like a fellow driving down the highway who received a telephone call from his wife. Back in those days, he could answer the phone. And she said to him, sweetheart, be very careful on the road. I've just heard on the radio that some idiot is travelling down the highway and he's on the wrong side of the road. And he replied and said, that's only the half of it. It's not one car. There's hundreds of cars. I'm ducking and weaving. We all drop the ball. It's like a 90-year-old grandma. Because of her rage and Christmas was coming and she wasn't up to going doing the shopping, so she got her Christmas cards and she wrote out checks. 
And she wrote, you know, and in the card she just simply wrote, buy your own present, buy your own present. And she mailed all of the cards and it wasn't until, and she enjoyed all the Christmas festivities and that, it wasn't until uh, on Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, she was cleaning up her desk and stuff and she noticed all of these checks that she hadn't put in the cards. <laughs> so the grandkids got a, a card, <laughs> buy your own present. We all drop the ball. We all goof off at some point. You're going to get tested this week. I'm going to get tested this week. God's going to test us and try us. Somebody's going to do something or say something. You're going to be irritated. What are you going to do with it? Remember the bucket with the ping pong balls. Every time you get irritated, you're throwing a bucket of ping pong ball away. You're losing your own joy and happiness. Life is too short to be spent in a huff. And following Jesus is far too important to be out of step with one another. Some people are difficult to deal with, aren't they? Some people find me difficult to deal with, truth be told. Me. Cute, lovable me. I can be vicious. My best friend says, you have a thing called a grrr factor. He can't explain it to me or he doesn't want to. But if you push my buttons, then the grrr factor manifests itself. I can't control it. I'm trying. But it's just, God made me this way. <laughs> it's not an excuse, is it? It's part of living in a fallen world. So I'm working very hard on that. And some people, like me, can be very difficult. We all know someone. And God, I think, sometimes deliberately puts those people in our life. Every church has them. Every church has them. I've never passed a church where there isn't an extremely difficult, irritating person in it. Why are they there? Well, God allows them to be there because he's trying to grow us to be like Jesus. That we would learn to bear with one another, to speak the truth in love to one another. There's a parable that Jesus gives. You can look it up, Matthew. The unforgiving servant. You know, the guy who was forgiven for millions of dollars worth of something and he goes out by the king and he goes outside and he meets a fellow servant. He owes him five bucks and he grabs him by the throat and says, pay me what you owe me. And the king hears about it, forgiven for so much, irritated by something small. And Jesus gives a very strong warning. You treat one another like that, the father will treat you like that. So, make every effort, take pains, be eager to keep, maintain, don't lose it. If you drop it, work hard to pick it up again and re-establish it. This is to be our attitude in the whole community and it's to be continual, ongoing. Oops. There it is. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble, gentle, patient, Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, every effort, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're a God of love, a God of mercy, and a God of forgiveness. And you're a God who is very patient with us. 
We know, Lord, that you are committed to growing us to become more like your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are at work. Forgive us, Lord, for when we resist your will, when we give in to our own um, selfish ways, our own agendas. And I pray that you would not only forgive us, but that you would make us stronger. Lord, continue to teach us and shape us that we might be demonstrations of your love, your grace to everyone. It's a big order, Lord, but this is your will for us and we ask and pray for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, thank you for coming.